Hello. My name is Ned Keyes, and I am a parishioner, youth, acolyte, and verger here at St. John's Cathedral. I was baptized here, and I was confirmed here, and now I speak to you this Sunday on the precipice of departing from here in a few short months and to start the next part of my life at McAllister College in St. Paul, Minnesota. Now, if you were here three years ago, you would have heard my older brother give a senior sermon of his own. So naturally, one of the first things I did to prepare for today was to listen to it on the St. John's website. As any younger sibling may feel, I at first found myself unsure of how I was to live up to the example that Ben's sermon set in its level of wit, provocativeness, and profoundness of thought. But us younger siblings must remember that we are, in fact, our own people, and so I will relate to you the path that I have forged for myself here at St. John's. That path, of course, starts with baptism, which I don't remember. <laughs> what I do remember, or at least remember always having remembered, is godly play. It's an interesting thing. I don't know when I first heard the term Sunday school, but I didn't like it because I didn't go to Sunday school. I went to godly play. For those of you who are unfamiliar, godly play is a curriculum used to teach children about the stories from the Bible. The standard process is that the storyteller sits the kids down and says, I'm going to tell you a story. And with the use of props like felt cloths, wooden figurines, beautifully painted wood blocks, gold-painted parable boxes, among many other things, they tell the story. Only years later, after hearing others' perspectives and being better able to articulate myself, do I see what I considered the core difference between godly play and Sunday school. In my mind, the latter is, impose, is about imposing doctrine and restricting questions. The former is all about questions. The storyteller asks the children, I wonder why it was this way, or what do you think this means, or how would you feel if you were in Noah's position, or Moses' position, or Mary's position? And the kids are invited to respond. The last note I'll make about godly play is what I called it, I called it the sandbox. Uh, Bishop uh, Rob informed me it's actually called the desert box. Um, but if you were there, you know about it. It's a, it's a glass prism, and it's, it's a, uh, set on wheels, and inside is sand, and it's used to represent a desert. And so the storyteller and the kids, they treat it with lots of reverence. And the storyteller opens with, the desert gets very hot during the day and very cold at night. And then they move on to the impermanence of sand, the ever-changing nature of the desert. Whatever mark you make in it today, the wind will erase tomorrow and make something new. And as they do this, they brush their hand over the sand, erasing and remaking dunes. It's very meditative, almost mesmerizing. The next step in my path that I want to talk about is cathedral camp. This is the camp that's run through the cathedral, as the name would imply. And it's where I first saw my brothers go um, and enjoy as a sibling who was too young to go. Uh, but eventually, I was old enough and I went. And now it is something that I hold very close to my heart. Being in the mountains away from your parents, but still under good supervision, and being outside singing songs and participating in the same traditions we do every year, 
like Carnival and Skit Night and Friendship Bread, The Mostest and Dutch Auction. It's truly an experience I can't make you understand with words. If you've heard any of Dean Richard's sermons where he mentions growing up near the water and the creek, <laughs> you'll know. It's that childhood awe and nostalgia for a time when you were unbound, happy, and simply being a child, making memories, and sharing that experience with others. In fourth grade, I transitioned from godly play to So What, which aims to give kids a more in-depth exploration of the biblical stories. What sticks out here is that in my second year of So What, there was a day when then-deans verger David Barr came in and told us about acolyting. We went down into the nave and took turns carrying crosses and torches. We rang the bell. And then he showed us incense, of which there are two parts, the thurible, the thing you swing, and the boat, the thing that holds the incense. And seeing David put the incense, which is just a powder, on the hot coals of the thurible, and watching how the powder transformed into this perfumey smoke, it was another moment of simple and unexplainable awe and fascination. I made my accolading debut carrying the boat that year, the first Sunday of Easter. And I've continued to answer that call, albeit with a large COVID-sized gap in the middle. The next step is what you might call a misstep, but you probably wouldn't know from the outside. It was around the time that I was entering high school, and I started to feel conflicted about my faith. For all my life, I had been coming to church, and I simply accepted the things we said. But as I've already talked about with godly play, it wasn't forced upon me, I just came to accept it. But then, there I was, now thinking to myself, well, hold up, some of this doesn't make sense to me. Hearing words like obedient and servant and master and you shall and you shall not, it left a sour taste. And I started thinking, well, why do we need the middleman of God? Wouldn't it be a more moral thing if we were kind and forgiving and generous for our own sake instead of selfishly seeking eternal salvation? I still struggle with this. A few weeks ago, we hosted the Reverend Dr. Mark Jefferson of Virginia Theological Seminary, and he talked about being in the middle. And while this is not necessarily the context he meant it in, I think it's applicable to the situation I was in. Because on one side, there were people saying, who, who used Christianity to justify bigotry and traumatize children in an effort to impose their limited worldview onto others and claim every word of the Bible as absolute truth. And I didn't want to be associated with those people. I do feel immensely lucky to have grown up in a church where gender identity and presentation, sexual orientation, and even marital status are not limiting factors to the membership or the priesthood where the Bible is taking more for the lessons it is trying to teach us and how we can apply them in the modern day instead of the simplest or even the original meaning. And godly play storytellers are just that, storytellers, not historians. Even still, I wasn't quite sure, and I'm still not, is this the exact way I want to express my faith? But going back to the idea of the middle, there were people now on the other side saying religion is stupid 
and the Bible is an old book that doesn't do much good for us now. But I also reject that sentiment. And so it's in this middle ground that I still find myself today, and likely many of you who have been called to the Episcopal Church. And so that brings us to the most recent step in my spiritual and religious journey at St. John's. For the, 15, for the first 15 or so months of the pandemic, I wasn't very church attendant. Instead of doing church from the family room couch, I opted to sleep in, and usually woke to the sound of my parents singing the closing hymn. In the very first vestry election I was eligible for, I opted not to vote, as I did not consider myself a parishioner in very good standing. But when I first attended in-person church last June, something clicked. Despite the doubts about my faith, and despite the sleeping schedule I'd become accustomed to, it was so refreshing to be back, to say the same prayers, and participate in the same rituals, to see the same people, picking up right where I left off, no strings attached. And so here I am, today, still asking and believing, talking and listening, seeking. Before I finish, I should probably at least talk a little bit about today's gospel reading. In Simon Peter's redemption and reaffirmation for his love of Jesus, Jesus responds each time with a different command. First, feed my lambs, then tend my sheep, then finally, feed my sheep. Notice how the lambs become sheep. They grow up, time passes. Very truly, I tell you, our spiritual path does not begin and end in a single day, but rather takes course throughout every day of our lives. It grows from the naive and innocent lamb that deals in dualities and simplicities to the sheep that has gone through the world and has ex experienced the totality of being, the one who deals in complexities and nuances. If Canon Brodrick were preaching today, he would have told you, as he told me, that the word charcoal only comes up twice in the New Testament, both times in the Gospel of John. The first time is in John 18. The narrator of John makes it explicit that Simon Peter was warming himself over a charcoal fire before thrice denying Jesus. And now in John 21, as we've read today, Jesus extends an invitation to breakfast over a charcoal fire, one where Simon Peter reaffirms his love for Jesus. And so here we have the charcoal fire, the thing that we fear and revere for its destructive potential, like the desert winds. Fire, the thing around which we can all gather, centering community like cathedral camp. Fire, the thing we watch and smell with awe and wonder, like the thurible's coals consuming incense. Fire the thing that can both heal us and hurt us, like the church. Fire, the thing that calls us back and fills us with joy upon our arrival, like St. John's Cathedral after being away for such an, an eventful 15 months. And the charcoal fire, the place we are called, we're being called back to from the sea, being asked to feed and to tend and to love.